0: Hello, my name is Marcelo Cohen. I come from Argentina. I'm Professor of International Law at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva. This lecture is about the applicability of the principle of UT possidetis Juris to the maritime context. In a file you will find in this page, you will be able to consult the case law I will quote in this presentation, as well as some sketch maps. The emergence of new maritime spaces poses a problem for the application of possidetis Juris to so-called maritime boundaries. At the heart of this problem is determining whether newly independent states are bound by the delimitation agreements concluded by the former colonial powers that preceded them, as well as the unilateral acts that establish their maritime jurisdictions. A similar problem also arises with respect to states that have been created outside the decolonization process in cases of separation or dissolution from their predecessor states. The International Court of Justice has fleshed out the legal character and content of the principle of UT Possidetis Juris in a number of cases. The first of these was the judgment handed down by the Chamber in the case concerning the frontier dispute between Burkina Faso and Mali. The most recent case was the judgment by the Court in the case concerning territorial and maritime dispute between Nicaragua and Honduras in the Caribbean Sea. The salient points gleaned from the Court's jurisprudence are the following. First, that I quote, the principle of uti has kept its place among the most important legal principles," unquote, in the determination of title over territory and the delimitation of boundaries in the context of decolonization. Second, that it constitutes a general principle that is logically connected to the phenomenon of achieving independence wherever this occurs. Third, The principle of possidetis juris, I quote, is found in the preeminence according to legal title over effective possession as a basis of sovereignty, unquote. Fourth, I quote, the essence of the principle lies in its primary aim of securing respect for the territorial boundaries at the moment when independence is achieved. Such territorial boundaries may be no more than the limitations between different administrative divisions or colonies, all subject to the same sovereign. In that case, the application of the principle of Utiposidetes resulted in administrative boundaries being transformed into international frontiers in the full sense of the term." Unquote. The problem that we are interested in here is the application of U.T. possidetis to the specific context of maritime delimitations. The situation is not the same for Latin American states that achieved independence at the beginning of the 19th century as it is for African, Asian, and Pacific states that achieved independence during the second half of the 20th century. The emergence of the continental shelf as a specific maritime area in 1945 And the additional categories of fishing areas and exclusive economic zones some decades later have substantially changed the law governing maritime areas. These developments in the law of the sea mean the possible application of utiposidetes to maritime areas will not be the same for Latin American states as it will be for African states. The breakup of the Soviet Union and the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia following the fall of the Berlin Wall, as well as East Timor's independence, have created situations similar to those already mentioned. Both this practice as well as developments in the case law of international courts allows some general observations to be made about the impact of uti on maritime boundaries. Undoubtedly, the distinction between the legal regimes that apply to maritime areas in which States enjoy sovereign rights but not sovereignty is fundamental. With the exception of internal waters and the territorial sea, maritime areas do not constitute part of the territory of a State. Rules governing the acquisition of sovereignty are not applicable to these maritime areas. In this respect, it is worth noting that the coastal state has rights that exist ipso facto and ab initio in relation to its continental shelf. This is not the case with respect to a state's exclusive economic zone or fishing areas, where an explicit declaration of the coastal state must be made. The very logic that underpins territorial delimitations and maritime delimitation is also quite different. It is clear, however, that newly independent states inherit from their colonial predecessors not only land that is delimited on the basis of old administrative boundaries, but also sovereignty or certain sovereign rights over parts of the sea. As the court reca- recalled in the Agency Continental Shelf case, I quote, whether it is a land frontier or a boundary line in the continental shelf that is in question, the process is essentially the same and inevitably involves the same element of stability and permanence, and is subject to the rule excluding boundary agreements from fundamental change of circumstances." For this same reason, there was no difficulty in including maritime delimitation agreements in the rule contained in Article 11 of the Vienna Convention on the Succession of States with regard to treaties, which provides that, I quote, succession of states does not as such affect a boundary established by a treaty. The application of possidetis may thus lead to the succession of states over maritime areas and existing maritime boundaries at the moment of independence. The exact scope of these successions remains to be determined. I turn now to the consideration of the situation in Latin America. I will discuss how the principle of possidetis may apply to maritime delimitation in this part of the world. In the 19th century, the notions of continental shelf and exclusive economic zone were unknown. Maritime delimitations during this period could only concern the territorial sea. From the international point of view, no delimitation was reached between Spain and Portugal. In the case concerning territorial and maritime dispute between Nicaragua and Honduras in the Caribbean Sea, the court had to determine whether Spain had effected a delimitation of its maritime jurisdiction among its Central American provinces. In this case, Honduras claimed that there was a traditional maritime boundary along, along the 15th parallel, on the basis of an application of the principle of uti possidetis juris. More specifically, Honduras invoked the Royal Warrant of 23rd of August 1745, according to which Honduras and Nicaragua shared the military jurisdiction over the maritime areas in question. The delimitating line was marked by Cape Gracias a Dios. Honduras claimed that the later royal decree of 20th of November 1803, which placed the Mosquito Coast and the San Andres Islands, under the jurisdiction of the Viceroyalty of Santa Fe, or New Grenada, could not alter this delimitation. Nevertheless, according to Honduras, the maritime delimitation of six six nautical miles of territorial waters had been extended to include new maritime areas following the exercise of post-colonial effectivité. The court noted the categorical position adopted by Nicaragua that, I quote, "...the concept of possidetis that was used to determine the boundaries of the administrative divisions of the colonial power that were considered to be frozen in place at the moment of independence, has nothing to do with maritime matters." Unquote. Nicaragua grounded this proposition on the fact that jurisdiction over the territorial sea had been exercised by the Spanish authorities and not by the local authorities. It is worth mentioning that the general Nicaraguan position was much more nuanced during the oral hearings. Nicaragua did not dispute the theoretical possibility of a maritime uti posidetis nor its application when all the necessary conditions are met, but it contested its relevance in the case in question. It was thus argued for Nicaragua that at the date of independence, I quote, a joint sovereignty over the riparian republics arose over the waters of the Spanish crown in the Northern Caribbean Sea and persists until such time as the areas corresponding to each of them are delimited." Unquote. The court rejected the Honduran argument as it considered that it had not been established that the Spanish crown divided its maritime jurisdiction between the colonial provinces of Nicaragua and Honduras, even within the limits of the territorial sea. The court considered that although it may be accepted that all states gained their independence with an an entitlement to a territorial sea, that legal fact does not determine where the maritime boundary between adjacent seas of neighbouring states will run. And it found that in the circumstances of the present case, the uti posidetis juris principle cannot be said to have provided the basis for a maritime division along the 15th parallel. The position of the court in this case of not accepting the application of Utipo Sidetes Iuris for the delimitation of the territorial sea between two States that were created from the same colonial power does not imply that the principle will not apply in other cases of maritime delimitations in the Latin American context. The same judgment of uh, 8th of October 2007 makes clear that, I quote, the Utiposidetis principle made in certain circumstances, such as in connection with historic bays and territorial seas, play a role in a maritime delimitation." Indeed, Spain considered its sovereignty to extend over certain bays and waters. These were subsequently qualified as historic bays and waters. The relevant Hispano-American states inherited this situation from the Spanish and could continue to claim their entitlement over these maritime areas. A good example is the Gulf of Fonseca, situated on the Pacific coast of Central America. The Central American Court of Justice, in its judgment of 1917, qualified the Gulf of Fonseca as a historic bay and recalled that this qualification under Spanish rule had been passed onto the Gulf of Fonseca's respective successors, namely the Federal Republic of Central America and later El Salvador, Honduras and Nicaragua. The same reasoning was followed by the Chamber of the International Court of Justice in the case of the land, island and maritime frontier dispute between El Salvador and Honduras, when it stated that it is necessary to inquire into the legal situation of the waters of the Gulf in 1821 at the time of succession from Spain. For the principle of the uti possidetis juris should apply to the waters of the Gulf as well as to the land. The court reached the same conclusion as its Central American counterpart. Another example is the Rio de la Plata even though this is a watercourse and not a maritime area. The well-known Argentine diplomat Luis Maria Drago, one of the arbitrators in the North Atlantic Coast Fisheries case, referred to it in his dissenting opinion as an example of an historic estuary. His care in referring to it in this way is understandable as some states, notably Great Britain, considered that this river constitute part of the sea. It has also been claimed that Spain attributed maritime jurisdiction to its respective administrative divisions in Latin America for the purpose of maintaining security and with respect to fishing rights. This is what Argentina claimed in the Beagle Channel case as a criterion for interpreting Article 3 of the Argentine Chile Boundary Treaty of 1881. Argentina invoked the existence of an oceanic principle, according to which the Viceroyalty of the Rio de la Plata had jurisdiction over the coasts and Atlantic waters, and the Captaincy General of Chile over the coasts and waters of the Pacific. The tribunal, presided over by Sir Gerald Fitzmaurice, settled the dispute on other grounds. During the colonial period, Spain adopted a very strict position with respect of its exclusive control over the waters close to the coasts that were under its sovereignty. An example is found in the Convention with Great Britain, signed at the Escorial in 1790, known as the Nukta Sound Convention. The parties stipulated in Article 4, I quote, that British subjects shall not navigate nor carry on their fishery in the said areas within the distance of 10 maritime leagues from any part of the coast already occupied by Spain." This Convention may be interpreted as an implicit recognition by Britain of a maritime jurisdiction that extended to 10 maritime leagues from the Spanish coasts of America. The new Hispan american states subsequently inherited this jurisdiction when they achieved independence some decades later. I turn now to the consideration of the situation in Africa during the second half of the twentieth century. I will show that an application of the possidetis principle in the African context differs from its application in the Latin American context. In Africa, the application of the principle of Utiposidetis must be viewed differently as maritime delimitation arose in a different context due to two factors, the recent decolonization of the African continent, on the one hand, and the existence of a number of different colonial powers, on the other hand. These two contextual factors led to the development of a particular practice on the African continent for the delimitation of areas other than the territorial sea through the interpretation of treaties concluded by the former colonial powers. The question arises in this context whether these treaties continue to bind the newly independent African states. Another related question is whether the unilateral acts of the former colonial powers in the relevant maritime areas are opposable to the new states when delimitating maritime spaces. A distinction has been drawn in the case law between the attribution of an area and a maritime delimitation of a boundary. Allocation lines, that is, lines of attribution that determine the territorial sovereignty of two or more states, over islands situated within these lines, or on both sides of them, must be distinguished from maritime boundaries. The problem lies, however, in determining the nature of the line in question. Often, this can only be determined in light of the subsequent practice of the parties. The Guinea and Guinea Bissau Arbitral Award of 1985 concerned an allocation line and thus the applicability of Utiposidetis to a maritime boundary was not at issue. The Arbitral Tribunal came to the conclusion that the line that figured in the French Portugal Convention of 1886 was not a maritime delimitation boundary by virtue of the practice of the former colonial states and their successors. The Tribunal considered that the parties to the Convention of 1886 and their successors had interpreted the last provision of Article 1 of the Convention as not constituting a maritime boundary. In contrast, the applicability of the principle of possidetis to maritime areas in the case of maritime delimitation between Guinea-Bissau and Senegal was the very Bone of contention between the parties. In 1960, Portugal and France had concluded an agreement on a maritime boundary. The issue that arose before the arbitral tribunal was whether this agreement governed the situation for the two successor African states. Guinea-Bissau claimed that possidetis was not relevant to the case at hand. Among the many arguments put forward, Guinea-Bissau referred to the maritime nature of the dispute and claimed that the possidetis principle only applied to treaties of long-standing. Senegal, on the other hand, favoured an application of possidetis. In its favour, it raised the similar purposes of both territorial and maritime delimitation in establishing stable and definite boundaries. For its part, the Arbitral Tribunal considered the French-Portuguese agreement to apply to the maritime areas expressly mentioned in this agreement, namely the Territorial Sea, the Contiguous Zone and the Continental Shelf. The implication of this judgment is that the principle of possidetis did not apply to the maritime areas that were not recognized at the time that the 1960 Franco-Portuguese agreement was concluded, namely the Exclusive Economic Zone. These conclusions appear to conform to the rule contained in Article 11 of the Vienna Convention on State Succession with regard to treaties. It also seem to conform to the first rule of the intertemporal law set out by Max Huber in the well-known Arbitral Award in the Island of Palma's case. The act that creates a right is governed by the law contemporary with it. In contrast, the Arbitral Award had no difficulty in applying the most recent definition of continental shelf due to the dynamic nature of the legal definition of this maritime area in the 1960 treaty. Utiposidetis has also been implicitly and expressly invoked in the case concerning the continental shelf between Tunisia and Libya. The principle was invoked in this case to claim that continuation of a land boundary in the sea and to provide further support to the alleged effectivity or the existing modus vivendi that existed during the colonial period in order to make a maritime delimitation between the two independent African states. The court found it was not justified in applying an extension of the boundary on land established by the treaty of 1910 to the sea. This treaty, concluded between the Bay of Tunis and the Emperor of the Ottomans, was nevertheless considered to be a relevant circumstance for the court to be taken into consideration when finding that Ras Adjir was the end, of a point, the end point of a line establishing the maritime boundary. In a similar vein, petroleum concessions and sponge fisheries were raised by the parties as factors relevant to determining the boundary that existed during the colonial period. The Court, however, only considered the existence of of a modus vivendi to amount to a relevant factor to take into consideration when determining the maritime delimitation between the parties. For the Court, it did not amount to a tacit agreement that definitively established a boundary. In their individual opinions, Judge Ago and Judge uh, Jimenez de Arechaga very clearly advocated for an application of UT Posidetis to the limitations in maritime areas other than the territorial sea, even where these maritime areas had not been recognized at the relevant period in question. It might thus be affirmed that in the Tunisia-Libya case, possidetis was applied by the court in a maritime context, even if applying treaties of delimitations concluded by the predecessor, colonial powers, was not at issue. I will now discuss the application of Utiposidetis to maritime delimitations for states that have recently gained independence outside the context of decolonization. The breakup of the Soviet Union and the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia in the early 90s, like the independence of East Timor in 2002, raises the question of whether treaties on maritime delimitation concluded before the respective new states gain independence continue to apply. Different situations must first be distinguished from one another. Firstly, there are the normal cases of succession of states where pre-existing delimitations are opposable to the new states. Secondly, there are situations like that of the Baltic states, which are not considered to be successors of the Soviet Union, but have the same identity as those states that were illegally annexed by the USSR in 1940. Thirdly, there is the situation of East Timor, which fell under Indonesian occupation in 1975 and then was put under International Administration of the United Nations from 1999 until its independence in 2002. East Timor is a case of decolonization, due to its former status as a non-self-governing territory before independence. In the case concerning maritime delimitation in the Black Sea between Romania and Ukraine, it was not disputed that Ukraine as successor of the USSR and Romania as one of original parties were bound by the General Verbal of 27th of September 1949, that established the border between the Soviet Union and Romania, and which also established their respective territorial seas. A dispute nevertheless arose concerning this delimitation. It was also not disputed by the parties that the fact that a dispute existed concerning the rest of the maritime delimitation, between Romania and the USSR, that Ukraine was the successor of this indefinite situation. This is a situation that may also arise in the context of land delimitation, if territorial boundaries are poorly delimited delimited or not delimited at all. The Soviet Union had concluded treaties on maritime delimitation with Finland and Sweden. However, because the Baltic states are not the success- successor states of the USSR, they did not accept these previously established delimitations. This practice does not amount to a ref- refusal to apply the principle of possidetis to maritime delimitations. Rather, it is an affirmation of the non-applicability of the principle to the specific case of the Baltic states. Practice has also showed that the new treaties concluded between Lithuania and Sweden and between Estonia and Finland and Sweden follow the same delimitations as those established by the Soviet Union with these states. Finally, both the Treaty of Maritime delimitation in the Gulf of Riga between Estonia and Latvia in 1996, and the Treaty uh, of 1997 between Lithuania and Russia concerning the delimitation of the economic zone and the continental shelf, constituted delimitation ex novo, because no previous administrative maritime boundary existed beforehand. When the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia broke up, There existed a treaty of delimitation of the continental shelf with Italy, concluded in 1968, as well as a treaty delimiting the territorial sea in the Gulf of Trieste, signed in 1975. However, no administrative maritime boundary has existed between the four federal riparian republics bordering on the Adriatic Sea, namely Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Montenegro. The treaties concluded with Italy did not appear to be contested by the interested parties. The delimitation of maritime areas between the new states posed a number of problems, particularly with respect to Slovenia and Croatia. In the absence of administrative delimitations, administrative acts that took place during the socialist era could be invoked to assist in making a delimitation. I turn now to the case of East Timor. The case of East Timor has some unique features that stem from its unlawful administration by Indonesia for over almost a quarter of a century. In addition to treaties delimitating the continental shelf, Australia had concluded a treaty with Indonesia that created, I quote, a zone of cooperation in an area between the Indonesian province of East Timor and Northern Australia, unquote. As Timor-Leste was not a successor of Indonesia, this treaty was not opposable to the newly independent state. Provisional arrangements were concluded between the transitory administration of the United Nations and Australia and, following its independence, between Timor-Leste and Australia, that maintain the zone of cooperation. This agreement does not amount to a delimitation of the continental shelf between the two states, as Timor-Leste recalled, before the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf when Australia alleged otherwise. Allow me to now make some concluding remarks. The principle of possidetis appears to be applicable to the sea in order to determine state sovereignty or sovereign rights over particular maritime areas. A successor state may invoke the unilateral acts of its predecessor state in order to demonstrate that its sovereignty or its sovereign rights extends to a particular zone in the sea adjacent to its coast, like its internal waters. If practice shows that the zone in question may be qualified as historical waters, then this legal status will continue to apply for the new state. Where the limitations were made by the predecessor state, this will continue to bind the successor state. If these delimitations concern one or a number of different maritime areas recognized at the relevant time, they will generally bind the new states. Inversely, Maritime delimitations will not apply to maritime areas that were not recognised at the time the delimitation agreements were made. Such agreements will not directly govern a delimitation, but they may nevertheless be considered relevant when making an equitable maritime delimitation. The conduct of a predecessor state may also be taken into consideration particularly if this conduct demonstrates, in a clear and consistent manner, the existence of an agreement. Such conduct may, in some cases, simply amount to relevant circumstances to be taken into account. The principle of possidetis thus contributes to providing stability to legal situations, including with respect to maritime areas where previous regimes and delimitations can be shown to have existed during the period preceding independence. I thank you for your attention.